Hey everybody, it's Amanda, and welcome to the History of FMW episode 45, where we will be going over the second half of 2016. Brett, can you go over the first half of 2016 for everybody? Yeah, so the big news that came out of the first half of 2016 was Hayabusa's passing. Numerous promotions paid tribute to him, and Super Battle FMW held a public funeral and retirement ceremony for him at Corrigan Hall the following month. Super Battle FMW, they had some great momentum going throughout the first half of 2016, as they had done really well with their three Corrigan Hall shows during that time period, and also they had renewed their feud with the UWF that went back 28 years with Onita. Also, Freedoms, they had grown to a point where they were now focusing on running multiple Corrigan Hall shows throughout the year, as the first half of the year they had Junkasai as their champion, defending the title in some really great main event death matches. And Mr. Gonske, he won the Guts World title at their big Corrigan Hall show in May, and he ended up dedicating the win to his longtime friend Hayabusa. And then you had Kentaro Kanemura, who had announced he would be retiring at the end of 2016, so these next six months are pretty much a retirement tour for him, which will eventually conclude at Corrigan Hall in in December. A one-match show would take place on July 8th in Shinkiba. Can you go over this match and what all happened in it? So this goes back to the June 21st Corrigan Hall show, when after the show ended, Kendo Kashin, he would go up to Onita in the Corrigan Hall lobby and begin attacking Onita's assistant, Pandita, to set up this match. This is going to be a one-match show, so I guess they were able to get a good deal here at Shinkiba, although the fact that they were able to draw some fans was a positive, and they had one fan actually pay a lot of money to be able to sit in a chair in the corner in the ring during the match. Kashin would go after Pandita right away, but Nosawa and Kikazawa would be with Pandita, and they would go after Kashin and begin brawling with him, as Kashin would end up taking them both up the bleachers of Shinkiba and banging them up against the wall of the building. Uh, while that's going on, Pandita would just take a seat in the corner, as Nosawa would begin fighting back and throw Kashin back in the ring, and they would all end up getting back in the ring, as, as Nosawa and Kikazawa would just continue to beat on Kashin to make this match go some sort of length, with Kashin trying to get to Pandita, but Nosawa and Kikazawa would prevent him from being able to touch him. There's even a spot here where Nosawa would end up hitting Kashin with a seat cushion and Kikazawa would cover him and the referee would actually count two before Kashin would kick out which makes no sense whatsoever since this match was with Pandita and Kashin and not Nosawa and Kikazawa. They would end up bringing a table in the ring when Kashin would just begin cleaning out everyone in the ring and free himself and go after Pandita and grab Pandita's mask off to reveal that it's Onita. And this would get a huge pop as Onita right away would spit red mist in Kashin's face. And then Onita would then take Kashin and pile drive him through the table and get the win. The actual Pandita, would, who's much shorter than Onita, would come to the ring as Onita would end up putting the Pandita mask back on. And then they would all begin dragging Kashin to the back when Kazuyuki. Yuki Fujita, who Kendo Kashin is the real-life agent to him, he would come over and just rip the Pandita mask off, and they would begin fighting as Fujita would have to be held back from going after Onita. This would begin the Onita versus Fujita feud that would not really pick up for another 16 months or so. Uh, this angle here, with it being revealed that it was Onita under the mask, was great, but it was just torture getting to that spot here, as Nosawa and Kikazawa, who were supposed to be the faces in this match, were just beating on Kashin the whole time, just to give the show some length and it not be just some two-minute match to fill a whole show, pretty much. Jun Kasai would promote his deathmatch carnival show on July 13th at Corrigan Hall with a main event of him defending the King of Freedom world title. Can you talk about the top matches on the show and how the show did? 
So they would announce a crowd of 982 fans for this show, which it's the biggest Freedoms number going back to Christmas last year, but I would also consider it a disappointment considering that it did not draw over 1,000 fans, and these Deathmatch Carnival shows tend to draw over 1,000 fans because it's one of the more popular shows of the year. It usually ends up taking place in late August, but it's going to take place in mid-July this year. The reason being is that Takashi Sasaki's 20th anniversary show uh, was going to take place at Corrigan Hall, and he debuted in September, so he wanted to have that show in September at Corrigan Hall, and you couldn't have a late August Corrigan Hall show and then follow that up with a mid-September Corrigan Hall show just two, you know, two weeks later, so they're going to run here in mid-July instead to give it some space. And last episode, I mentioned how Takashi Sasaki had been on a losing streak. He had lost back in March, April, May, June, and Kasai got so frustrated with him after his loss in June that he told Sasaki that he needed to just retire. So Sasaki's going to face off against Mito Extremo here, and he's going to try and prove his worth here, that he's not over the hill, and then he still has something left in the tank, essentially. And this match is going to be a barbed wire board ladder death match. Mito would end up sending Takashi into the barbed wire board in the corner first, and then Mito would end up leaping off to the top with Takashi catching him on his shoulders and hitting a death valley bomb onto the barbed wire board. Sasaki would then send Mito flying over the top on a set of chairs stacked on the outside, and then Sasaki would end up taking Mito up to the top and suplex him to off the top, sending him into the barbed wire board. Sasaki would then grab a ladder with light tubes attached to it, but Mito would end up grabbing Sasaki and dropping him onto the ladder with light tubes and then Mito would end up picking Sasaki up and hit an oppressive looking deadlift German suplex and then Mito would end up placing a stack of light tubes on the mat and charged at Sasaki but Sasaki would end up picking him up and dropping Mito down with the DJs on the light tubes. Sasaki would then pull out a light tube that lights up and kick it across Mito's chest and then nail him with a German suplex and then nail Mito with a kick to the head breaking another stack of light tubes and pick up the win over Mito here. This is fine for a third from the top match and now Sasaki after getting one win after after several months of losing, now skyrockets to the top and becomes the number one contender for the King of Freedom world title at the next Corrigan Hall show. Because like I said, it was his anniversary show, he's going to be on top here. Then the next match is going to be Masashi Takeda taking on Kenji Fukimoto in a fluorescent light tubes gadget board death match. They would start off by Fukimoto tossing Takeda a beer can, and they would both open the beer and just begin smashing each other over the head with the beer cans before Fukimoto would end up sending Takeda into the light tubes, but Takeda would come right back and drop kick Fukimoto into the gadget side of the ring, and then Takeda would pull out some scissors and just begin carving Fukimoto with them, and then Takeda would end up taking several scissors and try to slam Fukimoto on them, but Fukimoto would end up slamming Takeda instead on them and then begin stabbing his forehead with the scissors and then slam Takeda onto a gadget board but as Fukimoto would end up charging at Takeda, Takeda would end up grabbing Fukimoto and delivering a German suplex to him and then Takeda would end up powerbombing Fukimoto on the gadget boards on a stack of chairs and cover him Fukimoto would manage to kick out and just take his shirt off but Takeda would end up nailing Fukimoto with an Olympic slam and then pull out a board with scissors sticking attached to it and end up hitting Fukimoto with the U-Crash to get the win you can tell Fukimoto was in so much pain from this spot as he wanted to get up before the three count even happened as the scissors had not been properly dulled so they would end up cutting open Fukimoto's back pretty badly and he would end up being out of action for a little while with his back all cut up as a result. I didn't like this match at all as I'm not the biggest let's do gore spots instead of wrestling spots guy but this match along with Fukimoto accidentally getting cut open really bad actually did help Freedoms get noticed and gain this reputation as this promotion that does crazier things than you see in Big Japan, so it actually did help the aura of the promotion, even though, like I said, I, I didn't enjoy this match at all. 
And then the main event's gonna be Junkasai defending the King of Freedom world title against Violento Jack in a kaiju death match where they have a light tube like the Tokyo Tower. They also have a Tokyo design covering over some skewers and they have a little train going around the middle of the ring. And Kasai, he would wear a cool looking kaiju mask here that resembled a Violento Jack's mask as well. During this match, Jack, he would end up slamming Kasai on the train and then smash Kasai over the head with the tracks. And then Jack would try to DDT Kasai on a stack of concrete blocks, but Kasai would end up snap suplexing Jack onto the concrete blocks instead. And then Kasai would end up placing a concrete block on Jack's back and just pick up another concrete block and just throw it at Jack's back, breaking it across Jack. And then Kasai would end up pulling out the paper mache Tokyo Dome and reveal the skewers board, but Jack would end up grabbing Kasai and deliver a belly-to-belly -belly suplex, sending Kasai into the skewers, and then end up powerbombing Kasai on the concrete blocks. And then Jack would end up taking a huge stack of light tubes representing the Tokyo Tower and, and then just package pile drive Kasai into it. Kasai would escape outside the ring and Jack would go after him with the tope, but he would be met with Kasai grabbing the broken light tube tower and would throw it at Jack head first in a really cool looking spot. Kasai would end up taking off his kaiju mask and then pull out a board of knives as well as razor blades from under the ring and place the razor blades on Jack and go up to the top for a Pearl Harbor splash, but Jack would manage to kick out when Kasai would cover him. Kasai would then take the knives and try to hit a reverse tiger driver on Jack, but Jack would manage to backflip Kasai onto the knives instead and then go for a package pile driver on Kasai, but Kasai would manage to flip him over onto the knives. They would both end up grabbing some of the broken razor blade boards and begin hitting each other over the head with them. They would then end up going up to the top and Jack would end up placing skewers in Kasai's head and then manage to finish him off with a package pile driver on the concrete blocks to get the win. This was fine, but it seemed like they never really got into the next level of what they could have done. So Kasai's run here as champion is over and uh, Jack is going to be given the belt here to be a monster heel for the next uh, six months as Jack's going to be living uh, in Japan for the next six months the rest of the year as he works on becoming a full-time Freedoms member and eventually would end up just moving to Japan full-time. Kasai and Jack would end up fist pumping as a sign of respect to end the show in what was an overall successful show and really helped Freedoms grow as a promotion. Atsushi Onita would promote his own show on July 17th in Okayama with the first ever rocket explosion death match. Can you talk about what exactly was a rocket explosion match? So they're going to try and take this to the next level and have a rocket explosion deathmatch. And the rocket explosion is essentially they're going to have a rocket be launched from the second floor into the ring during the match. And this match is going to be Atsushi Onita, Raijin Yaguchi, and Tomihiko Hashimoto taking on the UWF team of Yoshihiro Takayama, Daisuke Ikeda, and Takumi Sano. And this match, the UWF team, they would end up uh, placing Onita on a chair early on. And Takayama, he would end up hitting Onita with the exploding barbed wire bat and then cover Onita, but Onita would manage to kick out. And then they would place Onita in the corner of the ring and turn on the rocket explosion and a countdown would begin as the rocket would go off from the second floor and hit the outside corner that Onita was sitting by. So it didn't actually hit Onita, but it was pretty loud and impressive looking and it was close to him. Takayama would then cover Onita, but Yaguchi would end up managing to make the save for him. And then Onita would end up turning on the exploding barbed wire bat and hit Akeda with it. And then he would end up getting the pinfall after that as this match was just all about the rocket launch spot and they would actually end up never doing this again as, as I guess they felt like this spot wasn't worth it. Megumi Kudo would appear at a super fireworks show on July 18th in Akita. Can you go over why she appeared and what took place in the match? 
So prior to this show, Megumi Kudo, she had talked about possibly coming out of retirement for the first time in 19 years since her last match back in 1997. As she had began training for this possible comeback, she's going to be at ringside during this match as Masato Tanaka and Shiguza Nagayo and someone named Go. They're going to take on Taru, Takuya Sugawara, and Voodoo Mass in an exploding barbed wire baseball bat deathmatch. Nagayo and Taru, they would fight in the crowd, but Tanaka would end up setting Sugawara on a table on the outside and go up to the top and splash him through the table. Taru and Sugawara would eventually end up going over to Megumi Kudo and grabbing her, and Taru would end up throwing her in the ring, and then Taru would begin kicking Kudo, which is the first time she's taking anything physical in the ring since she's retired. Taru would then turn on the exploding barbed wire bat, looking to hit Kudo with it, when Nagayo would come over and act as a shield for Kudo, Taru would then end up just hitting Nagayo with the exploding barbed wire bat, knocking everyone down due to the power of it, and then Voodoo Mass would end up grabbing a hold of Nagayo and go for a barbed wire bat shot, but Nagayo would end up moving out of the way as Voodoo Mass would end up accidentally hitting Taru with it, and then Nagayo would end up delivering a kick to Voodoo Mass, followed by Tanaka coming off the top with the Superfly Splash. Nagayo would then turn on the exploding barbed wire bat and hit Voodoo Mass with it, and then cover him and get the win, so the Nagayo, Tanaka, and Go team pick up the win here against the Voodoo Murders. Nagayo and Kudo would end up raising each other's hands and hug afterwards with Tanaka joining in as Nagayo and Kudo respected one another due to what they were able to accomplish in the business. This would be it as far as a possible Kudo return to the ring as she would do nothing like this again and the possible comeback would end up never happening. Atsushi Onida would also promote a show on July 18th in Hiroshima with an exploding Onibo deathmatch. Can you go over the details of this match for everyone? Yeah, so Onida wasn't on the Super Fireworks show that day because he was promoting his own show. And on this show, Onida's going to team up with Raijin Yaguchi, Tomohiko Hashimoto, and the indie mass wrestler Maple Kaiser. They're going to go up against the UWF team of Yoshihiro Takayama, Daisuke Ikeda, Takuma Sano, and the local indie mass wrestler Devil Magician in an exploding Anibo and exploding barbed wire bat deathmatch. Onida, he would start off by picking up the exploding bat, and Takayama, he would end up picking up the exploding Anibo, and they would both end up just hitting each other's weapons, causing a huge explosion, which would actually catch the Oniba on fire. Onida would end up pile-driving Akeda through a table, and then Onida would end up covering him, but Devil Magician would come over and throw a fireball at Onida to make the save for Akeda. Takayama would then look to hit Maple Kaiser with the exploding bat, but Onida would come in and spit red mist in Takayama's face, as Onida and Maple Kaiser would end up hitting a really crappy-looking DDT, and then Onida would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat again and hit Akeda with it, and pin him to get the win here as this match was just all about the explosions. Big Japan would return to Sumo Hall on July 24th with Ryuji Ito defending his Big Japan deathmatch title against someone he had an infamous match with five years ago. Can you go over this title match? Yeah, so Ryuji Ito is going to defend the Big Japan Deathmatch title against Kankaro Hoshino. This is a callback to their 2011 Corrigan Hall match where Hoshino was not in a position to win the title at all, but the crowd so badly wanted him to win that night. Well, now it's five years later, and Hoshino has pretty much just been a tag team mid-card wrestler the whole time, but this makes for a really cool story to give him a title shot at Big Japan's WrestleMania show to try and win the title once again against Ryuji Ito. And this is going to be a scaffold concrete block deathmatch, and this match 
match would start off with Hoshino grabbing a barbed wire chair, and Ito would end up grabbing a kendo stick, but Hoshino would end up knocking the stick away, but then he would end up putting the chair down and charge at Ito, but Ito would end up picking up the chair and just throw it at Hoshino, and then Ito would begin just breaking the concrete blocks over Hoshino's back, and then take him into the Isle of Sumo Hall, where he would end up placing Hoshino on a table and climb up to the second level of the building and do a dive, sending Hoshino through the table. Ito would then bring Hoshino back in the ring, but Hoshino would fight back and break concrete blocks over Ito's back this time, and then place Ito on the ramp and place a barbed wire chair over him and hit a running senton that would hurt Hoshino as well. Hoshino would then end up hitting a running bulldog using the ropes to send Ito face first into the barbed wire chair in a really cool looking spot, and then Hoshino would try for a choke slam on Ito on the concrete blocks, but Ito would end up slamming him instead, but Hoshino would get up right away and just slam Ito onto them. Ito and Hoshino would then both agree to go up the scaffold, but Ito would end up bringing a chair with him which would freak Hoshino out as Ito would end up nailing Hoshino with that chair and then place Hoshino on the chair on the scaffold and hit a hurricane run sending Hoshino flying off the scaffold into the turnbuckle in what could have been a horrible spot with how Hoshino landed, but because he was okay it looked really cool. Ito would then go up to the top and nail Hoshino with a dragon splash, but Hoshino would manage to kick out and then Ito would end up pulling a bag of salt and just dump it all over Hoshino, and then in a callback to their 2011 match, which introduced the syringe in the mouse spot to Japan, he would end up going after Hoshino with a syringe, but Hoshino would end up hitting Ito with a stunner, and then take the syringe and shove it in Ito's mouth this time, although this spot did not have the same effect that it did in the 2011 match when everyone was seeing it for the first time. Hoshino would then bring out a barbed wire stool and place it over Ito, and nail another standing senton, which would hurt both of them, as Hoshino would cover Ito, but Ito would kick out right away. Hoshino would then go for a clothesline, but Ito would end up ducking it and hitting him with a German suplex, followed by tossing salt in Hoshino's face, and then going for a dive off the scaffold, but Hoshino would move out of the way, and Hoshino would then end up rolling Ito with a ghetto clutch, but Ito would manage to kick out. Ito would then throw salt in Hoshino's face again, and try to suplex him off the top on the barbed wire step stool, but Hoshino would get under Ito and powerbomb him onto it, and then hit a standing senton, and then climb up to the top of the scaffold, but Ito would get up the scaffold as well, and they begin striking one another on the top of that scaffold, but Hoshino would end up hitting Ito with a flapjack, knocking Ito off the scaffold, and then Hoshino would end up hitting a senton off the scaffold on Ito to get the win. This was a really good match as they did a lot here, and it was a lot better than the previous Sumo Hall main event death match last year with Ryuji Ito and Abdullah Kobayashi just trying to kill each other for no reason. This match had a good flow, and they did a lot of stuff here that you don't see in every main event death match. Hoshino has been pretty much a career mid-carder at this point. Now he comes away having defeated the top guy in Big Japan at the biggest show of the year and is now the champion. So Hoshino is pretty much at his peak right here. This ends Ryuji Ito's one-year reign as death match champion as he's going to get moved down the car for a while and he's also going to just stop dyeing his hair and his goatee and he's going to look a lot older here coming up soon. I actually had dinner with Ito about a month prior to this match and his wife Nikon Lee was supposed to join us but Ito would tell me that she was just too tired to make it that night uh, but not that long after that it would be announced that Ryuji Ito and Nikon Lee were splitting up and she had already left Big Japan and began refereeing for independent promotions and eventually would end up in a job with all 
Japan. So I don't know if Ito just stopped caring about his appearance, but it looked like Ito was having a really difficult time following this divorce. And he's pretty much just going to go from top guy of the promotion for the last 13 years in Big Japan to moving down the card to mid-card matches, and he's not going to be the man for a while. Also on July 24th in Osaka, Atsushi Onita would defend his Super Fireworks title against Masa Aksu Funaki in an exploding barbed wire bat and exploding barbed wire board deathmatch. Can you go over this match and what happened to Onita afterwards? Yes, yeah, so this is a follow-up to the FMW versus UWF feud that was going on in Super Battle FMW. Now they're going to take the feud to Super Fireworks, as the FMW versus UWF feud is pretty much done in Super Battle FMW at this point. Onita would give the uh, commissioner, who is Megumi Kudo, the Super Fireworks title belt to hold up, and she would struggle to hold it up, as I've held this belt up once before, and it's a lot heavier than you would expect. Onita would go right after Funaki, and he would end up throwing him to the outside and throw him in the crowd, and then Funaki would fight back with some kicks, but he would end up getting back in the ring and be met with red mist spitting in his face by Onita. And then Onita would take Funaki outside the ring again and then pile drive him through a table. And then Onita would throw Funaki back in the ring again and then turn on the exploding barbed wire bat and go to hit Funaki with it. But Funaki would move out of the way and Onita would end up hitting the turnbuckle instead and be knocked to the mat because of how powerful the explosion was. That would give Funaki an opening to just take Onita to the mat and then begin kicking Onita and Onita would end up getting his arm up. And the kick would actually end up fracturing Onita's arm due to it being that stiff he didn't pull back any. And Onita would end up having to wrestle the rest of this match with a broken arm. Onita would end up coming back and spitting red mist in Funaki's face again and then smash him over the head with a chair. Followed by a really crappy looking Thunderfire powerbomb due to Onita's broken arm that he was dealing with. Onita would then smash Funaki over the head with a broken table piece. And then turn on the exploding barbed wire board and go to send Funaki into it. But Funaki would manage to reverse it and send Onita into the exploding barbed wire board instead. Then Funaki would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat and hit Onita over the back with it with another oppressive looking explosion and then cover Onita but Onita would manage to kick out and then Funaki would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat again and hit Onita across the midsection with it and that would be pretty much it as Funaki would end up getting the win here in a pretty one-sided match in favor of Funaki as Onita took all the explosion spots here and got his arm broken in the process. The EWF guys would then lift Funaki up in their arms in celebration as this was good for what it was, as Onita pretty much got the crap beat out of him and then lost. The feud's still pretty hot at this point, and now adding Onita's Super Fireworks title to Funaki adds to the feud, but this was sadly pretty much the end of it, actually, as Onita and Funaki wouldn't face off for another seven months, with Onita eventually winning his belt back, and that pretty much being the end of what was a very hot FMW versus UWF feud. Mr. Ganesuke would promote his own show on July 26th in Shinkiba, with him having a match against a masked wrestler called Hayabucha. Can you talk about who Hayabucha was and talk about their match? So with Hayabusa's recent passing, Mr. Ganesuke wanted to honor Hayabusa and in a way wrestle him one more time. So he contacted Hiroshima, who had briefly done a gimmick called Hayabucha, where he dressed up as Hayabusa with the mask and the attire and everything. And he also did some of the same movesets as well. So in a way, this is as close as you're going to get to having one more Hayabusa versus Mr. Ganesuke match. This was the Ganesuke special here, as the first part of the match would have a lot of ground-based work to start the match. Although, Hayabucha would end up putting Ganesuke in a cloverleaf here, a move Hayabusa never 
never did. So he's not trying to be a complete cosplay of Hayabusa here. Kamosuke would end up knocking Hayabusa down, but he would end up kipping up like Hayabusa would, and then deliver a dropkick, sending Ganosuke to the outside, and then Hayabusa would end up looking to go for an Asai moonsault, but Ganosuke would end up grabbing his leg and pulling him out of the ring, and then throw him in the crowd. Hayabusa would end up getting back in the ring, and Ganosuke would charge at him, but Hayabusa would end up delivering a hurricane run and sending Ganosuke out of the ring, and then Hayabusa would end up going up to the top and hit a swan dive off the top to the outside, which I believe Hayabusa only ever did one time, as he would end up landing on Ganosuke, and then they would end up getting back in the ring with Hayabucha hitting another swan dive off the top onto Ganosuke and then hit a falcon arrow with Ganosuke managing to kick out when he would cover him. Hayabucha would then end up going up to the top for a firebird splash but Ganosuke would get up as well and look to suplex Hayabucha but he would end up also kind of tripping a little bit so the fall would not look that good for Hayabucha. But he would still manage to get up and Ganosuke would end up nailing him with a lariat and then hit him with his own falcon arrow while screaming Hayabusa. Ganosuke would then end up hitting a praying powerbomb and then go for a fire thunder but Hayabucha would manage to escape and deliver a kick to Ganosuke's head and then hit a running knee kick which is a Hiroshima move followed by going up to the top and hitting a firebird splash on Mr. Ganosuke to get the win here. They would shake hands afterwards and Ganosuke would get on the mic and then they would both put their hands up in a chant to end the show with Hiroshima pointing to the heaven for Hayabusa followed by Ganosuke doing the same thing. This was a good match despite the screwed up suplex off the turnbuckle spot. I wish this was done at Corrigan Hall instead of Shinkiba, but Ganosuke is not willing to lose that much of his own money trying to book Corrigan Hall. I would say Hiroshima did a pretty good job overall trying to be Hayabusa though. Super Battle FMW would hold a show at the Itabashi Green Hall on August 7th for a Ray Benefit show. Can you go over the main event here and Ray's appearance on the show? So this show was there to help pay her medical bills, and it's a nice gesture, but this is the only show that Super Vital FMW would run in August after only doing one house show in July, so this has pretty much killed the momentum of the promotion of what they had built up the first half of the year after running three successful Corrigan Hall shows. And this show was a small building with a nothing main event. You had Ray doing some spots here against the Jobber Mass tag team, the Shockers, before the main event of Esushi Onida and Pandita against Raijin Yaguchi and Shocker Number 1. There would be this awkward scene where one of the Shockers would end up schoolboying Pandita and Pandita would end up clearly kicking out at two, but the referee would still count three and call for the bell and then everyone would just stand still and then the match would end up just starting back up with Onita and Pandita putting both Shockers in abdominal stretches, followed by Yaguchi putting in the referee in one as well and then Yaguchi would end up just kicking Pandita low and Shocker would end up going up to the top and hit a moonsault on Pandita and get the win here they barely even bother to show Onita in any of the clips, although he was injured, so I'm sure he didn't do that much in this match as this was a nothing match for a nothing show other than it was there to try and help Ray out financially. Ray would come into the ring and Onita would end up getting on the mic and shaking her hand and then she would do the chant with Onita and they would hug afterwards to end the show as you could tell she was a lot weaker than the previous couple months as she was in and out of the hospital a bunch getting radiation. Ray would only appear for a couple more Super Battle FMW shows and not really do much on them but other than that she wouldn't be seen again uh, in the promotion due to her hospitalization before she would end up sadly passing away in 2018. Freedoms would hold a show on August 11th at Shinkiba for a show dedicated to the group Unchained. Can you go over the top matches? Yeah, so this is actually going to be an annual event that still goes on to this day um, as the Unchained group has gotten popular enough to where the promotion can put out a show focused on them once a year and it do well at Shinkiba. 
And then Minoru Fujita, he's going to take on Violento Jack in a barbar board death match. They've agreed to go at it like men here, with Fujita being the first one to get put through the barbed wire board after Jack would end up Irish whipping him, sending him flying into it. Jack would then take Vegeta out of the ring and staple a flyer to his head, blinding Vegeta. They would end up getting back in the ring and Jack would end up taking the staple gun and just use it on Fujita's crotch. And then Vegeta would end up selling the staple gun to the crotch for three seconds and then just begin striking Jack and then hitting him with a diamond cutter, sending Jack into the barbed wire board. Fujita would then set Jack on the tree of woe and place two other chairs next to him and he would end up doing a sliding kick into them, sending them into Jack in a cool looking spot. Fujita would then send Jack out of the ring, but he would look to deliver a tope, but he would end up getting kicked in the head by Jack instead, and then Jack would end up doing his own tope, and then Jack would place the barbed wire board on Fujita and end up hitting a swanton bomb, and then a senton splash onto the barbed wire board. Jack would then place the barbed wire board outside the ring and look to package pile drive Fujita off the apron into the barbed wire board, but Fujita would end up kicking Jack low and then place him on the top rope and hit a clunky looking Hurricane Rana off the turnbuckle sending Jack into the barbed wire board on the outside. Vegeta would then end up bringing the barbed wire board up the turnbuckle with him but the barbed wire would end up getting stuck on the rope and Vegeta would end up just having to abandon ship on that idea and just let go of the board when hitting Jack with a splash. Uh, Jack would then end up getting up right away and just nail Vegeta with a package pile driver on another part of the broken barbed wire board and get the win that way. This was somewhat clunky but a good semi-main event match overall. And then the main event's going to be Jun Kasai taking on Mito Extremo in a fluorescent light tubes death match. Kasai would put his hand out to shake, but when Mito would go to shake it, he would be met with a middle finger by Kasai instead. And then Kasai and Mito, they would start off by trying to outdo each other by hitting each other over their own head with the light tubes before Kasai would end up just sending Mito into the light tube ropes. They would end up going to the outside with Mito hitting an Asai moonsault on Kasai before they would end up brawling all over the building, including Mito using a barbed wire to wrap around Kasai's head while in the crowd. They would end up getting back in the ring where Mito would end up climbing up to the top, but Kasai would end up getting up as well and grab a light tube and just break it over Mito's head and then hit a Hurricane Rana, which I believe is the first time I've seen Kasai do that move. Kasai would then grab a stack of light tubes and knee them right into Mito, followed by hitting him with a reverse tiger driver, but Mito would manage to kick out when Kasai would cover him as the crowd would start to get really alive here chanting for Kasai. Kasai would then place the stack of light tubes on Mito and go up to the top and nail a Pearl Harbor splash breaking the light tubes over Mito but again when Kasai would cover Mito would manage to kick out. Kasai would then go for another reverse tiger driver but Mito would manage to have Kasai land on his back on a light tube instead and then they would begin giving each other headbutts before Kasai would slam Mito and go up to the top for another Pearl Harbor splash but Mito would move out of the way this time and then deliver a deadlift suplex to Kasai followed by going for a moonsault but Kasai would move out of the way but Mito would land on his feet and hit a standing moonsault on Kasai and then pick Kasai up and hit a fire thunder on a stack of light tubes and pick up the win. This was okay, but the crowd was really into this match. Although this was not a successful night for Unchained, even though this was their first show ever dedicated to them, as all the members of the group would end up losing their matches on this show. Apple Star would hold a show with Onita having an exploding bat death match on August 17th at Shinkiba. Can you talk about this match? Yeah, so this is the continuation of the Onita versus Akane Watazi feud in Apple Star. Watazi is a model slash golfer in Japan, so she's somewhat known. Um, this is going to be an exploding barbed wire bat death match. It's going to be Onita, Hideki Osaka, Rikifuji, and Naoshi Sano taking on Raijin Yaguchi, Nosawa, Tomohiko Hashimoto, and Masahiro Sase with Watazi in their corner. Onita, he would end up hitting Yaguchi over the head with a chair and then pile drive Nosawa through a table. Onita would then go to powerbomb Nosawa when Watazi and Yaguchi would come over and both spin 
at Red Mist in Onita's face. Yaguchi would then turn on the exploding barbar bat and hit Onita with it. And then Nosawa would end up grabbing Onita as Watazi would look to spit Red Mist in Onita's face again, but instead she would end up getting Red Mist spit in her face as Onita would then turn on the exploding barbar bat and hit Sase with it and get the pin so the Onita team gets the win here. After the match, the Watazi team, they would take the Onita team outside Shinkiba, and Nosawa would help Watazi hit Riki Fuji with the exploding barbed wire bat, as Onita, he would just head back to the ring and do his Onita theater to end the show. The Big Japan Deathmatch title would be defended on August 21st in Nagoya for Death Mania. Can you go over this title match for everybody? Yes, yeah, so this is the annual Death Mania show that Big Japan's been doing in Nagoya for the last couple of years. They run a pretty decent-sized building here, so it's like the fourth biggest event of the year behind Sumo Hall and their, and their two Yokohama Bunker Gym shows. Kankuro Hoshino's going to defend the Big Japan Deathmatch title here for the first time against Abdullah Kobayashi in a fluorescent light tubes concrete block deathmatch. Kobayashi, he would start the match by just tossing light tubes at Hoshino, followed by Hoshino throwing them at Kobayashi and then sending Kobayashi out of the ring where he would just begin cutting open Kobayashi with a light tube. They would end up getting back in the ring and take turns breaking light tubes over one another's head until Hoshino would end up delivering a DDT to Kobayashi on a stack of light tubes on the concrete blocks. Hoshino would then place a concrete block on Kobayashi's back and then use another concrete block to break it over his back multiple times. Kobayashi and Hoshino would then both grab concrete blocks and begin breaking them by hitting against each other. Kobayashi would then begin headbutting Hoshino before just repeatedly throwing light tubes at him. And then he would end up going up to the top and dropping an elbow, but Hoshino would manage to kick out. And then Kobayashi would end up setting the remaining concrete blocks on their sides. But Hoshino would get up and end up dropping Kobayashi onto them. And then Hoshino would end up taking his uh, step stool and hit a standing senton on it and make the cover. But Kobayashi would manage to kick out. And then Hoshino would end up placing his step stool on Kobayashi and hit a senton off the top rope and managed to get the win. So Hoshino ends up defending the Big Japan Deathmatch title here. This match sucked. Not much heat at all. And even though some of the stuff that they did hurt a great deal, I'm sure, this match just never really created a flow to it. And it was just spot to spot to spot. And Kobayashi, he's going to end up getting another title shot anyway four months regardless. Atsushi Onita would start his own promotion called Fire Pro Wrestling on August 26th at the Differ Ariaki. Can you talk about his main event match and the significant history behind him and one of his tag partners for the show? Yeah, so because of Onita's popularity, an agency would reach out to him about him running his own promotion. So now Onita's going to be the face of three promotions going forward. Fire Pro Wrestling is about to capitalize on the fact that Super Battle FMW is about to lose a lot of momentum. And Onita, because he has a lot more stake with this promotion, is going to focus on it more than Super Battle FMW, which is about to decline rapidly here going forward because of their own bad decisions. And then the main event here is going to be in a no-ropes barbed wire deathmatch with Onita revisiting his past as he's going to team up with Chavo Guerrero. Onita defeated Chavo Guerrero back on March 7th, 1982 for the NWA International Junior Heavyweight title. And after um, Guerrero took the loss, he ended up taking the trophy that Onita had won winning the title and would begin attacking Onita and would leave Onita a bloody mess in probably Onita's most memorable angle that he ever did while in All Japan before FMW. So this is going to be a callback to their feud 24 years later with Onita and Chavo teaming up with Hideki Osaka and Nosawa to take on Kendo Kashin, Hideki Suzuki, Shogun Okamoto, and a masked guy going by the name Black Undercover F. Kashin, he would end up throwing Onita into the barbed wire and then Onita would come back and spit red mist in Akamoto's face and then Onita and Chavo would end up suplexing Kashin and then Onita would grab a hold of Kashin when Chavo would come over to deliver a chop. But 
Kashim would move out of the way and Chavo would accidentally end up chopping Onita instead. And then Kashim would end up bringing in a miniature trophy compared to what Chavo had used on Onita years earlier and hit Chavo over the back when he wasn't looking and then throw it at Onita making Chavo think that Onita had hit him in a callback to the angle over the trophy as Chavo would end up taking the trophy and just begin hitting Onita with it. When Nosawa would come over to argue with Chavo about attacking Onita, Black Undercover F would end up coming over and Chavo would end up grabbing him and give him a horrible looking German suplex to get the win. So the Onita team pick up the win here despite their conflict. Onita would then present Chavo with that miniature trophy and I guess that would be it as far as Chavo's concerned and he's good with Onita now as Chavo would end up raising Onita's arm and they would end up doing the Onita theater together as Chavo and Onita's feud is officially over 24 years later now. Sadly, Chavo Guerrero would end up passing away from cancer six months after this, which would make me think that he might have already known that he was going to die soon due to the cancer, and he wanted to have this match with Onita one last time to kind of to put a bow to their rivalry. The Apache Army and Super Fireworks would co-promote a show on September 4th in Shizuoka with an exploding bat match. Can you go over this match for everybody? Tomihiko Hashimoto, and they're going to take on Asushi Onida, Hideki Osaka, and Hasegawa in an exploding barbed wire bat death match. I'm sure Kanemura was talking about an exploding barbed wire match and not a bat match, but at this point, this is all he's going to get. This match would start with all of them brawling around ringside, with Onida throwing Yaguchi in a set of chairs, with Hasegawa going at it with Kanemura, and Kanemura just tossing his boss in the stack of chairs before Hasaka would come over and nail Kanemura with a water bottle. Onida and Yaguchi would end up making it back in the ring with Onita hitting Yaguchi over the head with a chair and then hitting a crappy looking stunner before Hashimoto would come over and make the save for Yaguchi. Kenemura would end up bringing a table in the ring but the Onita team would end up getting control of that table and then Onita would end up pile driving Apache Army wrestler Takumi Sakurai through it and he was not even in the match but simply he was going to take the pile driver because no one else on the Kanemura side was going to be able to take a pile driver through a table by Onita and Onita is going to pile drive someone through a table. Kanemura and Hashimoto would then grab a hold of Onita as Yaguchi would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat as Kanemura and Hashimoto would place Onita on a chair and then Yaguchi would nail Onita with the exploding barbed wire bat with an explosion so loud you could tell it hurt Kanemura's ears. Kanemura would then turn on the exploding bat himself as Hashimoto and Yaguchi would hold on to Hasegawa and they would end up throwing Hasegawa into the bat and Kanemura would nail Hasegawa with the exploding barbed wire bat and another explosion so loud that Kanemura's ears were hurting, but Onita would come over and with the broken table piece and make the save for Hasegawa. Yaguchi would then grab Onita and Hashimoto would go for the bat shot, but he would get met with Onita spitting red mist in his face, and then Onita would begin smashing everyone over the head with the broken table piece before repeated shots to Yaguchi, and then Onita would hit a DDT on Yaguchi with Kanemura having to make the save. Hosaka would come over and give Kanemura a hurricane rana, followed by Hasegawa nailing Kanemura with a splash, and then they would turn on the exploding barbed wire bat again and Hasegawa would take the bat and Onita and Hosaka would send Kanemura into Hasegawa's way and Hasegawa would nail Kanemura with the exploding barbed wire bat and cover him and get the win. This was every Onita match although it was a nice that Kanemura was able to get his deathmatch wish here against Onita although they would end up doing another exploding barbed wire bat deathmatch three months later. Freedoms would also hold a show on September 4th for their annual Iowate show. Can you go over the matches on the card? 
So on this show, it's going to be the great Kabuki teaming up with Jintaro's alter ego, Bintin, and Onryo to take on the great Sasuke and the Brahmin brothers. Kabuki and Sasuke, they would start off the match by doing a lot of stalling comedy until Kabuki would end up spitting mist in the air, causing Sasuke to just tag out. Kabuki would then tag in Onryo, who would come in and get dust all over one of the Brahmin brothers, and then Bintin would come in and get water spit in his face by the Brahmin brothers, and then all six wrestlers, as well as Karate Brahmin, would end up brawling around ringside, with Sasuke getting thrown in the crowd. Karate would end up taking one of his vegetables and try to hit the great Kabuki over the back of his head with it, but he would come in the ring as one of the Brahmin brothers would grab a hold of Bintin as Karate would end up just spitting a watermelon all over Bintin's face. Bintin would end up pulling out his umbrella and just begin spinning it around which would completely hypnotize the Brahmin brothers and Karate Brahmin as Sasuke would end up getting tagged in and Bintin would do the same causing Sasuke to just fall down. Onryo would come in and get his back smacked by a street sign from one of the Brahmin brothers and then the Brahmin brother would cover him but Onryo would end up catching the referee's hand as he was counting as Onryo would end up tagging in Kabuki and the Brahmin brothers would end up spitting water at him but then Sasuke would end up grabbing Onryo and the Brahmin brothers would try to hit him over the hip with the street sign but Onryo would move out of the way and they would end up accidentally hitting Sasuke instead with the street sign. The great Kabuki would then come in and knock Brahmin Key down with a thrust kick and then just cover him and get the win. Usually the Brahmin brother matches are a success but not here with the bigger crowd as the crowd was just not responding to anything here and there was just a bunch of bad wrestling thrown into this comedy match where no was laughing. Then Masashi Takeda and Kinshi Fukimoto are going to take on Yuko Miyamoto and Daisuke Masaaka in a fluorescent light tubes death match. The first part of this match would be Takeda and Fukimoto beating and bloodying Masaaka until he would come back and headbutt a light tube over Takeda and then nail him with a knee before tagging Miyamoto in who would try to hit Takeda with a fire thunder but Takeda would manage to escape and hit a spear on Miyamoto sending him back first into the light tubes. Fukimoto and Masaaka would then come in and Masaaka would end up nailing Fukimoto with a flying dropkick. Takeda would then come in and Fukimoto and Takeda would both throw Miyamoto into the ropes, but Miyamoto would come back with his handspring elbow, followed by going up to the top and hitting a moonsault, and then Masaaka would end up nailing Fukimoto with a running knee, and then try for his Rikurikai knee drop, but Fukimoto would move out of the way, and then nail Masaaka with a powerbomb, with Miyamoto barely managing to make the save for Masaaka. Fukimoto would then try for his package pile driver, but Masaaka would manage to roll Fukimoto up and get the win. This is pretty much just all four guys going through the motions here and doing the same spots that they usually do with the finish just coming out of nowhere. So this was a disappointing match. Then the main event's going to be Takashi Sasaki and Shuji Ishikawa taking on Junkasai and Violento Jack. This is going to be Takashi Sasaki's first 20th anniversary show, and this is going to be a light tubes connected to a ladder death match. Kasai, Sasaki, and Ishikawa, they would begin brawling outside the ring as Jack would end up delivering a tope onto all of them, and they would all begin brawling around ringside with Jack throwing Sasaki headfirst into a box of light tubes, and then just stepping on it and breaking the light tubes in the box with Sasaki's head in it. They would end up getting back in the ring, and Jack would try to suit suplex Sasaki, but he would manage to reverse it and suplex Jack into the ladder with light tubes on it, and then Ishikawa would get tagged in, but Kasai would end up knocking him down with a lariat, and Ishikawa would not make it long before just tagging Sasaki back in the ring, who would end up getting the upper hand on Kasai, as he and Ishikawa would both end up delivering a running sliding kick to Kasai. Sasaki would then try to hit a DJ's on a stack of light tubes on Kasai, but Kasai would reverse it and hit Sasaki with a reverse tiger driver, and then headbutt the light tubes, breaking them across Sasaki 
Sasaki's head. Kasai would then slam Sasaki as Jack would end up hitting a swanton dive, but Ishikawa would come in and pick up the ladder and begin spinning it around over his head, hitting Kasai and Jack with it until he would end up just tossing it at them, but they would catch it and just throw it right back at him, followed by Kasai knocking Ishikawa over the top rope to the outside, and then Kasai would end up climbing up the top of the ladder and hit a Pearl Harbor splash on Sasaki, but Ishikawa would come in and make the save. Jack would then try for a package pile driver on Sasaki, but he would manage to escape it and hit a German suplex, sending Jack flying across the ring. Sasaki would then pull out another stack of light tubes and nail Jack with the DJs, breaking him over the light tubes, and then deliver a right kick, breaking more light tubes across Jack's head and pick up the win. So Takashi Sasaki gets the win here for his team. This was just another basic match of everyone going through the motions and not taking it up a notch at all, despite this usually being one of the bigger attended shows of the year. They just never really seem to treat this like it's Corrigan Hall, though. Sasaki now has two wins in a row and having have pinned the champion. He, like I said he, earlier, he's going to challenge Jack for the King of Freedom World title later this month at Corrigan Hall, and that's going to be another 20th anniversary show for Takashi Sasaki. Mr. Ganesuke would defend his Guts World title on September 11th at the Shinjuku Face against Masked Mystery. Can you go over their match? Yeah, so this is the 100 Guts World event. So this is a pretty big match in the promotion's history as Ganesuke is going to defend the Guts World title here against Guts World regular Mass Mystery. Uh, this match would start, unlike most Ganesuke matches, as right away a loud pop would happen as Mass Mystery would just charge at Ganesuke with the Lariat and Ganesuke would catch him with the Ganesuke clutch and get a two count. And then the Ganesuke match would begin with Mass Mystery just working on Ganesuke's knee for about 15 minutes before Mass Mystery would end up taking Ganesuke in the crowd and then placing Ganesuke on a chair and then charge at him with Ganesuke moving out of the way and Mass Mystery would just end up going right into the chair in the crowd. They would end up getting back in the ring and do some more mat work before Ganesuke would end up hitting Mass Mystery with a falcon arrow and then charge at Mystery with a lariat but Mystery would end up catching Ganesuke and slamming him. Mystery would then end up nailing Ganesuke with two choke slams, but Ganesuke would end up kicking out at the second choke slam, which would get a huge pop. And then Mass Mystery would end up coming off the top rope with an elbow and cover Ganesuke again, and Ganesuke would manage to kick out. Mystery would then end up going up to the top, and Ganesuke would get up and climb up to the top of the turnbuckle as well and try to suplex Mystery, but again, he would almost end up slipping before nailing Mystery with the suplex off the top. So Ganesuke would end up holding his knee in pain as a result of the almost slip, and then Ganesuke would end up nailing Mystery with a praying powerbomb, but Mystery would manage to kick out to another loud pop from the crowd. Ganesuke would then end up nailing Mass Mystery with a fire thunder, but once again he would cover Mass Mystery and Mystery would end up kicking out, and then Ganesuke would go for another fire thunder, but Mystery would end up escaping, and then Ganesuke would try to go for a roll-up, but Mystery would manage to reverse it and get the pinfall and get the win here to a loud pop from the crowd. So this was the usual Ganesuke match where it's a long first half and not much is happening, but the crowd is so into it by the end. I can't say it's a boring match, even though literally this match went nearly 30 minutes of mat work before the hot finish. This now ends Ganesuke's four-month reign as Guts World Champion, as Ganesuke would end up shaking Mass Mystery's hand and raise his hand up in celebration of the new Guts World Champion. Freedoms would run at Corrigan Hall on September 15th for the Takashi Sasaki's 20th anniversary show. Can you go over how the show did and the top matches? So they would announce a crowd of 738 fans, which is pretty much on par for what the uh, Freedom's non-Junkasai 
Corrigan Hall shows do. So I'm sure Takashi Sasaki was happy that it was pretty much, you know, with him on top and him having lost a lot and him not having the same name value as a Chunkasai anymore. You know, I'm sure he was just happy with this uh, show not being a bomb or anything for his 20th anniversary. So on this show, Masashi Takeda and Kinshi Fukimoto are going to take on Mito Extremo and Daisuke Masaaka in a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. Takeda and Mito, they would start off by breaking light tubes over themselves and then just begin breaking light tubes repeatedly over each other's heads. Takeda would end up escaping from Mito and would try for an Asai moonsault, but they would end up pulling his leg off the apron to the outside and then Masaaka would end up diving in the outside, but Fukimoto and Takeda would end up catching him and Mito would end up hitting an Asai moonsault onto everyone outside. Masaaka and Takeda would end up getting back in the ring, and Masaaka would end up slamming Takeda on a chair with thumbtacks attached to it. But then he would end up tagging in Mito, and Takeda would end up bringing in a concrete block with forks sticking out of it, and drop Mito stomach first onto it. Takeda would then charge at Mito, but he would end up sending Takeda out of the ring, and then hitting a tope on the outside on Takeda. And then they would end up getting back in the ring with Mito picking Takeda up, and hit an oppressive looking German suplex on a light tube before going up to the top. But Takeda would get up and go up to the top as well and hit a German suplex off the turnbuckle with Fukimoto coming over and hitting a package pile driver on Mito but Masaaka had managed to make the save and then Fukimoto would end up powerbombing Masaaka for it while Takeda would end up nailing Mito with another German suplex and get the win. So Takeda gets the win here but it would be Mito Extremo that would look like the star of this match despite taking the loss. I am Sasaki. They're going to team up to take on Yuko Miyamoto and Shuji Ishikawa. This is going to be a street fight, so everyone's dressed up like they would be on the streets, including Ishikawa and Kasai dressed up on nice, and Miyamoto, he's in a basketball jersey and shorts. They would start this match off by brawling all over Corrigan Hall, with Mammoth smashing Ishikawa against the west side of Corrigan, while Kasai would end up taking Miyamoto over to the east side up the bleachers, but it would be Miyamoto that ended up smashing Kasai's head against the east side instead. Mamma with, and Ishikawa would end up getting back in the ring and do a dueling chair spot until Kasai and Miyamoto would also get back in the ring as Ishikawa would grab a hold of Kasai and Miyamoto would end up taking his basketball and try to slam the basketball against Kasai's head but Kasai would move out of the way and Miyamoto would end up accidentally hitting Ishikawa over the head with the ball instead. Mammoth would then set up Ishikawa on a table on the outside as Kasai would climb up a ladder and dive off the top of the ladder sending Ishikawa through the table. Kasai would then drop the ladder over Miyamoto and then charge at him, but Miyamoto would end up catching Kasai and suplexing him, followed by going up to the top and going for a moonsault, but Kasai would manage to get up his knees. Kasai would then end up hitting a reverse tiger driver on Miyamoto, but Ishikawa would manage to make the save by hitting Kasai with the ladder. Ishikawa would then begin hitting both Mammoth and Kasai with the ladder before just tossing it at them, but they would both catch it and just toss it right back at Ishikawa, with Mammoth hitting a clothesline, sending Ishikawa out of the ring. Kasai would then place a chair over Miyamoto and and then go up to the top for a Pearl Harbor splash. But as he was doing this pose, Miyamoto would get up and just throw a chair at Kasai and then bring a table over and climb up to the top and hit a fire thunder off the turnbuckle on Kasai, sending him through a table in a really cool looking spot. Mammoth would then come over and place a chair over Miyamoto and go for a Mammoth home run, but Miyamoto would duck it and hit Mammoth with the chair and then pick Kasai up for a fire thunder, but Kasai would manage to escape and hit a reverse tiger driver on Miyamoto and then go for a lariat on him, but Miyamoto would end up rolling Kasai 
up with the Ghanaskate clutch and get a two count. Mammoth would then place a chair over Ishikawa's head and hit him with the Mammoth home run and then place a ladder over two chairs and try to suplex Ishikawa off the turnbuckle, but Ishikawa would end up headbutting Mammoth and then powerbombing him on the ladder and then nailing him with a knee. Kasai would come over and begin hitting Ishikawa with lariats, but as he would charge at him, Miyamoto would come out of nowhere and hit Kasai with a lariat. Ishikawa would then hit his Splash Mountain powerbomb on Kasai, and Miyamoto would climb up to the top of the ladder and hit a moonsault on Kasai to get the win. This was a great match, a lot of action, and the crowd was really into it, and it was made even more impressive that Ishikawa and Kasai were all dressed up nicely for this match. And then the main event's going to be Takashi Sasaki's 20th anniversary match as he's going to challenge Violento Jack for the King of Freedom world title in a weapons glass board death match. Jack would try to send Sasaki into the glass board in the corner right away, but Sasaki would stop himself just short and then kick Jack in the head. And then Sasaki would try to suplex Jack through the glass board, but Jack would manage to escape and then hit a belly-to-belly -belly suplex, sending Sasaki through the first glass board. Jack would then take some broken cans and begin cutting open Sasaki and then try to powerbomb him on the broken can board. But Sasaki would escape and suplex Jack onto the board instead. And then Sasaki would bring out the Kinzons with Jack charging at Sasaki and Sasaki would end up backflipping him onto the Kinzons. Jack would then come back and place Sasaki under the other glass board and go up to the top. But Sasaki would get up and place Kinzons on the glass board and suplex Jack off the turnbuckle through the other glass board. And then Sasaki would pull out from under the ring some light tubes that would light up but as he was showing them off Jack would end up delivering a tope on Hilo breaking the light tubes over Sasaki in an awesome spot Jack would then end up DDTing Sasaki on the Kinzons with the Kinzons getting stuck in Sasaki's head in a recreation of the famous spot for, that Sasaki did 10 years earlier that pretty much put Sasaki on the map as far as death matches go Jack would then try for a packaged pile driver on a stack of light tubes, but Sasaki would escape and take one of those light tubes and break it across Jack's head with a kick and then do the spot again. But then Jack would manage to escape and pick Sasaki up and hit a death belly bomb on the Kinzons and cover Sasaki, but Sasaki would manage to kick out. But Jack would end up just finishing Sasaki off with another packaged pile driver and get the win. So Jack defends the uh, King of Freedom World title here in a, in a match that was pretty good. Probably the best main event level death match that Sasaki is going to have at the this point as Jack's a really great worker and overall this was a really good show. Super Battle FMW would return to Corrigan Hall for the first time in three months on September 26th. Can you talk about how the show did and the main event that took place? So we announced a crowd of 1,000 fans here, and I'm guessing the number was much lower than what was announced. But I talked about it earlier how Super Battle FMW took three months off, essentially, and all the momentum that they had gained throughout the first half of the year from December to June was pretty much just wiped away now. Uh, the UWF main event feud is now on hiatus, and when it would come back, it would be for other promotions, and they are left with the same FMW versus Wing feud that they ran to death for a year straight. And now you're going to have Onita running his own promotion, and it just seems like whoever booking this promotion just kind of gave up as far as caring about the growth of the promotion and keeping it hot. The big draw for this show really was just Onita versus Kanemura in a tag match for the final time at Corrigan Hall. As Onita is going to team up with Tatiki Osaka, Riki Fuji, and Kasaku, and they're going to take on Yoshihiro Takayama, Wing Kanemura, Raijin Yaguchi, and Nosawa. And this is going to be a barbed wire board scramble bunkhouse death match. And Onita, he would run to the ring first and grab the trash can of weapons and pull out the barbed wire bat. But Takayama would take it from him and try to hit Onita with it, but Onita would hold up the garbage can to block it. Takayama would then throw Onita 
it into the barbed wire board, and then him and Noguchi would end up suplexing Onita through the barbed wire board, and then Onita and Kanemura would begin headbutting one another before Nosawa would end up tossing Kanemura a guitar, and Kanemura would end up smashing the guitar over Onita's head, and then Kanemura would go for the barbed wire bat shot, but Onita would end up spitting red mist in Kanemura's face, and then hit him over the head with the broken table piece. Onita would then go to spit mist in Kanemura's face again, but Kasaku would get in the way and get mist spit in his face instead, and then Kanemura would end up grabbing a chair and just nailed Kasaku over the head with it and pick up the win as the Wing Monster Army team get the win. Kanemura gets his win over Onita like it's this big deal that Kanemura's team beat the Onita team, even though Kanemura didn't actually get the win over Onita, and he had won tag matches against Onita in the past, just never actually pinned Onita, as Onita was never going to be willing to put Kanemura over, even in a tag match, and, and if he wasn't going to put him over in this match, he was never going to put him over. Uh, Onita would end up going up to Kanemura and show respect to him afterwards, as he would end up doing the Team No Respect Brief Brother Dance for the first time ever, as Onita and Kanemura would hug afterwards, and then Onita would end up pouring water over Kanemura's head as he was leaving the ring. This was a nice ending to what I'm sure was the same match over and over, like I've talked about. And like I mentioned earlier, this was a complete meltdown of what was a hot promotion a couple months ago, and it's just going to get worse. Fire Pro would then run a Halloween special on October 21st at Shinkiba with the Falls Count Anywhere Exploding Bat Deathmatch. Can you go over the highlights of this match? Yeah, this is going to be a barbed wire board, exploding barbed wire death match, and all the wrestlers are going to have a Halloween theme here, dressed up differently as Onita, he's going to go as Devil Nita Man, where he's pretty much the Joker. Hosaka, he's going to go as Dark Side Panda, so he's in a panda outfit. Hasegawa is going to go as a witch, and they're going to take on Raijin Yaguchi, going as Jesus. Uh, Tomihiko Hashimoto is going to go as a thief, and Nosawa is a mummy here. Hashimoto and Yaguchi, they would end up suplexing Onita into the barbed wire board, and then take him outside Shinkiba, with Yaguchi hitting Onita with the exploding barbed wire bat, and then they would grab Hasegawa and end up hitting him with the exploding barbed wire bat as well outside, and then they would bring Hasegawa back in the ring, and Yaguchi would end up nailing him with the lariat to get the win. Really not much here sh was shown. Uh, afterwards, all the wrestlers uh, would end up starting to dance to Michael Jackson's Thriller, with Onita showing his dance moves to the crowd in what was the most noticeable thing about this match that was shown. Freedoms would hold a show on October 27th at Shinkiba to set up for their upcoming Corrigan Hall show. Can you go over the two death matches on the show? Yeah, so on this show, Violento Jack and Takashi Sasaki are going to team up to take on Mito Extremo and Genji Fukimoto in a scramble bunkhouse death match. This is the first time that Mito Extremo and Violento Jack are facing off against each other in Freedoms, and as you know, in a scramble bunkhouse death match, you have two teams waiting for a countdown to be able to rush to the ring and be able to grab the barbed wire bat that's laying in the middle of the ring first, and they would actually do the countdown in Spanish here for Mito and Jack, and Mito would end up grabbing the barbed wire bat first, but it wouldn't be long before Jack would end up grabbing it from him him, and he would end up losing it to Fukimoto, who would end up hitting Jack with the bat, and then Jack would end up telling Fukimoto to hit him harder with it before grabbing it himself and just smashing it over Fukimoto's back. Eventually, Jack and Mito, they would end up getting in the ring, and they would shake hands before Jack would end up nailing Mito with a shot to the face. They would begin exchanging strikes and chops until Jack would end up nailing Mito with a clothesline before getting Mito in an ankle lock with Fukimoto having to make the save, and then Jack would go up to the top, but Mito would meet him up at the top by standing on the ropes and then hitting an oppressive looking Hurricane Rana as Fukimoto would then come over and try to hit a packaged pile driver on Jack on the barbed wire board, but Jack would end up flipping Fukimoto over on instead. 
Jack would then end up hitting a flying elbow drop on Fukimoto and then go for a package pile driver, but Mito would end up coming over and pick Jack up and hit an impressive looking deadlift suplex with Jack getting up and going for a clothesline, but Mito would move out of the way and then Fukimoto would end up hitting a package pile driver on Jack to get the win, so Fukimoto ends up getting the upset win over the King of Freedom World Champion here in a tag match. Then the main event's going to be Jun Kasai and Daisuke Masaaka taking on Yuko Miyamoto and Asami Kodaka in a fluorescent light tubes death match. This match would start off with all of them brawling around before Kasai would end up handing Kodaka a beer can and Kasai would have one himself and they would both begin chugging from the beer can and then begin hitting each other over the head with the cans before they would just start throwing each other into the light tubes and then start brawling in the crowd where Kodaka would end up going up to the top of the bleachers and delivering a diving knee drop off the bleachers onto Kasai. Miyamoto and Masaaka Masaaka would then get in the ring, but Kodaka would come in and help Miyamoto throw Masaaka into the light tubes, and then Kodaka would place a light tube in Masaaka's shirt and kick it and break it over Masaaka's back, and then Kodaka would end up pulling the light tube out, and the light tube had broke, but not really, and as a result, it looked like this long balloon that had not successfully been blown up yet. Miyamoto would then come over and break the light tubes across Masaaka's chest as Masaaka would manage to fight back by throwing Miyamoto into Kodaka and then using Kodaka to hit a tornado DDT on Miyamoto followed by an Asai Moonsault on Kodaka to the outside before coming back in with a stack of light tubes and climbing up to the top where he would toss the light tubes to Kodaka who would catch the light tubes and Masaaka would end up hitting a flying drop kick breaking those light tubes across Kodaka. Miyamoto and Kasai would then enter the ring and Miyamoto would end up nailing Kasai with a chair shot to the head, but Kasai would no-sell it and then lariat Miyamoto and then hit a reverse tiger driver on him and then break the light tubes over his knee, but they would not break again as these light tubes that they got for this match were a faulty batch. I've never seen this happen before or after. Kasai would then end up hitting a Pearl Harbor splash on Miyamoto and then going for a reverse tiger driver on him, but Kodaka would come in and super kick Kasai and then deliver a tope to Kasai on the outside as Miyamoto would try for a handspring elbow at Masaaka, but he would end up missing it and Masaaka would end up nailing Miyamoto with a super kick and then he would grab a stack of light tubes and headbutt the light tubes up against Miyamoto before dropping him on the stack of light tubes and then Masaaka would go up to the top but Kodaka would come over and grab a hold of him but Kasai would then also come over and grab a hold of Kodaka leaving Masaaka free to try and come off the top for a recurrent Kai on Miyamoto but Miyamoto would move out of the way and then Miyamoto would end up hitting Masaaka in the face with a running knee kick and then then pick up Masaaka and nail him with the fire thunder which Masaaka would still manage to kick out to to a huge pop from the crowd here and a Masaaka chant would begin as Miyamoto would go up to the top rope and hit a moonsault and finally put Masaaka away here for the win this was a great great match one of the best freedom matches and it's such a hidden gem because it wasn't on Samurai TV or it didn't happen at Corrigan Hall this is probably the best Shinkiba match in the promotions history as the crowd was so hot and I I've talked about how every Shinkiba show has pretty much been the same here, especially the last couple years. It's They've just been there to set up a Corrigan Hall show. And even though this match did help set up a Corrigan Hall show, this match stands out by itself. There will be one more match kind of like this in April 2018 where the crowd of Shinkiba was super hot for a great match. But that just shows you how a match like this doesn't happen too often in Shinkiba. But again, this was an awesome, awesome match, and it sets up Miyamoto versus Masaaka at the next Corrigan Hall show with the winner of that match becoming the number one contender for the King of Freedom World title at the Christmas Deathmatch show. Fire Pro would then run a show on November 3rd in Yokohama with an old rivalry starting back up with Onita. Can you go over the match and who was Onita's longtime rival? 
Yeah, so this is going to be a barbed wire board death match, and it's going to be Atsushi Onida, Hideki Osaka, and Hasegawa taking on the mass team of the Myoguns, which are going to be Myogun 2, 4, and 5. And this is going to be a mass group led by Masashi Ayagi, the longtime Onida rival going back to 1989 and helped start FMW based off this rivalry. Uh, one of the Myoguns is obviously Raijin Yaguchi under a mask, as Onida went in nailing Yaguchi over the hip of the chair and then hit a stunner on him. Onryo, who had accompanied the Myoguns to the ring, he would end up taking a pile driver through the table by Onita, but then the Myoguns would end up grabbing Onita and sending him into the barbed wire board and then suplexing Onita through that barbed wire board. One of the Myoguns would then end up grabbing Onita as Onryo would go to hit him with a barbed wire bat, but Onita would end up spitting red mist in Onryo's face, and then Onita would end up hitting Myogun number four with the barbed wire bat, and then hit a backdrop on him and get the win as the entire Myogun army would end up attacking Onita along with Masashi Ayagi, putting a sword up to Onita's throat and then posing for the camera as their feud is now going to be renewed in this promotion every time they run into Goya here for the next year or so. Kanemura would have his final 0-1 match on November 6th at Corrigan Hall as he would team up with Masada Tanaka. Who did they end up facing and can you go over the match? Yeah, so Kanemura is going to team up with Masato Tanaka here, and they're going to take on Shinjiro Otani and Tetsuhito Takeiwa. Kanemura, he would face off against Otani at first, as they had a long rivalry after FNW closed between the Apache Army and Zero One. But it would not be long before Tanaka would end up grabbing Otani, and Kanemura would end up grabbing Takeiwa, and they would go to both sides of Corrigan and begin smashing their heads up against the east and west signs of the building. They would end up coming back in the ring, and Tanaka would end up setting a table outside and place Takeiwa on it, and Kanemura would end up going up to the top and send Takeiwa through the table on the outside as Kanemura would get the fans to begin chanting ECW. Tanaka and Otani would then end up squaring off in the ring and Otani would end up trying to do his face wash spot but as Kanemura would be walking outside the ring he would end up getting the boot from Otani to the face instead and then Otani would end up doing it to Tanaka. The fans would begin chanting for Otani as Kanemura would try to tell them to stop but Otani would end up nailing him in the face with the boot again and then Kanemura would get tagged in and try for a spinning heel kick to Otani but Otani would move out of the way and tag Takeiwa in, but Kanemura would end up dropping Takeiwa to the mat and hit a running senton on him, and as he was looking to hit a powerbomb on Takeiwa, Otani would end up going up to the top and hit a flying drop kick to Kanemura. Takeiwa would then pick Kanemura up and hit a Death Valley bomb and cover Kanemura, but Kanemura would manage to kick out, and then Takeiwa would try another one on Kanemura, but Kanemura would manage to escape and roll Takeiwa up with a Sansa clutch to get the win, so Tanaka and Kanemura pick up the win here for Kanemura's final Zero One show. Kanemura would end up getting on the mic afterwards and thank Zero One for 14 years as Zero One was the first promotion to really give him a shot at making good money after FNW ended up closing down and they would all end up doing the Team No Respect Brief Brother dance together one last time in Zero One. Freedoms would run on November 17th at Corrigan Hall with it being the Winger's 25th anniversary show. Can you go over the top matches as well as how the show did? Yes, yeah, so they would announce a crowd of 652 fans, which is not a good number at all, but they're going to come across shows like this when they're trying to expand or run Corrigan Hall more, and with it being the first time they're running in November, just two months after running Corrigan Hall um, for Sasaki's 20th anniversary show, and you have the Christmas Deathmatch show in one month, and the big draw here is that it's the winger who is a mid-carder, his anniversary show, you're going to end up having a low number like this as a result, especially when Jukasai is not in the top match.
So in this show, Takashi Sasaki, Violento Jack, and Shuji Ishikawa, they're going to team up to take on the unchained team of Jun Kasai, Masashi Takeda, and Kinji Fukimoto in a TLC deathmatch. This match would start with all of them brawling all over ringside, with Ishikawa picking Takeda up by his legs and send him flying into the front seats before grabbing a ladder and hitting Takeda with it. They would end up getting back in the ring, and Takashi Sasaki would end up just tossing a chair at Fukimoto's face, but then Takeda would come in and place a chair over Sasaki's face and smash it with a chair, and then and he would try to suplex Sasaki onto the ladder, but Sasaki would counter and drop Takeda onto the ladder instead, and then tag Shuji Ishikawa in, as Ishikawa would end up picking Takeda up and try for a powerbomb, with Takeda managing to escape, and then hit a suplex on Ishikawa on the ladder, and then Ishikawa would get up and powerbomb Takeda on that ladder, and then Jack and Kasai would end up getting tagged in, and they would do a dueling chair spot, but Kasai would end up picking up the ladder and just throw it at Jack, who would then place it over his head and charge at Kasai with it, but Kasai would duck it and then suplex Jack with the ladder going flying across the ring. Sasaki and Ishikawa would then set up a table as Jack would go up to the top and try to suplex Kasai off the top turnbuckle, but Takeda would, and Fukimoto would come over and send Jack through the table, and then Kasai would go up to the top and hit a Pearl Harbor splash on Jack with Sasaki and Ishikawa having to make the save. Jack would then pick Takeda and Fukimoto up on his shoulders and drop them down on the mat and then go up against Kasai, but Kasai would end up headbutting Jack and then hit a reverse Tiger Driver on him and cover him, but Jack would manage to kick out. Kasai would then go up to the top when Gunzo, an independent wrestler from Osaka, would come over and smash Kasai over the head with a chair, and then Jack would end up finishing Kasai off with a package pile driver to get the win, as the fans would not be happy about this. This was good for what it was meant to be, as Gunzo would end up getting on the mic and challenge Kasai to a singles deathmatch at the Christmas deathmatch show next month at Corrigan Hall. Then the next match is going to be the Winger taking on Tajiri for the Winger's 25th anniversary match. The Winger and Tajiri, they went way back uh, to IWA Japan in the mid-90s before both would end up working in Big Japan as well, so they knew each other really well. This would have a lot of mat work at the start, and after a while, the Winger would end up throwing Tajiri into the ropes, and he would come back with his handspring elbow and then try for a buzzsaw kick, but the Winger would move out of the way and end up rolling Tajiri up with a La Magistral with Tajiri kicking out. The Winger would then go up to the top for a senton and nail Tajiri, but then the winger would end up charging and getting nailed in the head with a kick by Tajiri, and then follow that up with a buzzsaw kick from Tajiri, and Tajiri would end up getting the win here. This was a strange ending to the winger's career in Freedoms. He started with the promotion back in 2009, and he had actually been with the Apache Army guys uh, many years prior to that, so he had a long history with Takashi Sasaki, Jintaro, and all of them, so he had a job for life in Freedoms. Even though he was very limited due to his 25 years of deathmatch, Matches, and you know his body was breaking down he had an easy job for life he could do comedy matches and stuff like that you know he was set pretty much as far as this promotion goes um, after this though the winger would end up telling Takashi Sasaki that he was going to need to take a month or so off and he'd be back uh, at the beginning of 2017 with Takashi understanding as it's not like the winger was this great draw that the fans aren't going to come to a freedom show because he's not there well then the start of 2017 would come up and Sasaki could not get in touch with the winger he would not answer any of his phone calls, and uh, Sasaki would even try to mail his annual contract to the winger's house, and the winger just literally never responded, and it's essentially as if he vanished from thin air. Now, there was a rumor going around in the underground Japanese circles that the winger and Nikon Lee had gotten together following Ryuji Ito's divorce with her, and the winger knew he could never wrestle in Freedoms or Big Japan again because he knew how close Big Japan and Freedoms were and how respected Ryuji Ito was by so many of the, the guys, or the boys in the locker room. 
Now, I am friends with Natalie, uh, who is the winger's wife. She's a Mexican women's wrestler from the 90s, and they are still together. And I feel bad even mentioning this underground rumor because I know how much she loves Takashi Okano, the winger. She told me that the reason the winger no longer wrestles is because he has such a horrible neck and waist injuries, and he misses wrestling, but he just cannot go back into the ring until those injuries are healed. And it's going on four years at this point, with the winger having never wrestled the match. So I would say at this point, the winger's career is officially over. He had a chance in, to wrestle. Uh, Shadow WX offered him a spot in his promotion because Shadow WX and the Winger are close and you know this promotion had no ties to Big Japan or Freedoms or anything like that so the Winger would have been free and he turned down that offer or at least you know never got back to Shadow WX either. He wasn't on the show. And like I said, I feel bad for even mentioning that underground rumor. It's just something I heard. I don't even personally believe it. I, I believe Naftali when she says that the winger is just banged up and can't wrestle anymore. His body's just too injured. And I, I just, the only thing is, is it weird how the winger handled himself and, you know, going ghost essentially on Takashi Sasaki when he could have, you know, at least told Takashi, hey, I don't want to wrestle anymore. And I'm sure he would have understood, you know, instead of just going ghost and not responding to him. So that whole thing is weird. And suspicious, but like I said, I don't really personally believe the rumor. At least, I hope it's not true, because like I said, I know much how Natali loves Takashi Akano, and I hope that nothing ended up happening that would possibly, you know, jeopardize their marriage, because, you know, it's been 20 years, and she is still very passionately in love with him. Then the main event's going to be Yuko Miyamoto taking on Daisuke Masaaka in a fluorescent light tube's ladder death match. The winner of this match gets a shot at the King of Freedom world title at the next Corgan Hall show in December. Masaaka, he'd be the first one thrown into the light tubes. And then Miyamoto would end up getting Masaaka in the corner and just begin kicking light tubes, breaking them across him, as well as headbutting a light tube over Masaaka's head. As Miyamoto would then end up taking a light tube and just begin cutting Masaaka open with it. Miyamoto would then take two light tubes in Masaaka's shirt and slam him, breaking the light tubes over Masaaka's back, followed by putting more light tubes in front of Masaaka's shirt before hitting a standing senton, breaking more of the light tubes across Masaaka's stomach. Miyamoto would then go for a lariat, but Masaaka would end up ducking it and then hitting a flying dropkick, sending Miyamoto out of the ring, and then Masaaka would end up hitting an Asai Moonsault on Miyamoto, and then Masaaka would end up taking a light tube and begin cutting open Miyamoto with it, and then toss him back in the ring and go up to the top and throw a stack of light tubes at Miyamoto, with Miyamoto catching them, and Masaaka would then end up hitting a flying drop kick from the top, breaking those light tubes across Miyamoto. Masaaka would then end up going up to the top for a Rikurakai knee drop, but Miyamoto would move out of the way and then hit a handspring elbow, followed by picking Masaaka up and hitting him with the fire thunder and covering him, but Masaaka would manage to kick out. Miyamoto would then grab a ladder and begin climbing up to the top of it and go for a moonsault, but Masaaka would manage to get his knees up when Miyamoto would come down on him. They begin striking one another, and then Masaaka would end up charging at Miyamoto, who would end up catching him and go for a fire thunder, but Masaaka would manage to escape that and hit his own fire thunder on Miyamoto, and then Masaaka would climb up the ladder, but Miyamoto would get up and climb up the ladder as well, but he would end up being met with a headbutt from Masaaka, and then Masaaka would end up powerbombing Miyamoto off the ladder, and then Masaaka would climb up to the top of the ladder and hit a Rakurakai knee drop to get the win over Miyamoto. This was a really good match, although it was not as good as the tag match the month prior to Shinkiba, but now Masaaka gets the big win and gets put in line for a King of Freedom world title match against Violento Jack at the Christmas Deathmatch show at Corrigan next month. Super Battle FMW would come back to Corrigan Hall for a retirement show of a longtime FMW women's wrestler on November 24th. Can you go over the retirement ceremony as well as the main event on this show?
So they want to announce a crowd of 900 fans for this show, so I'm sure it's another financial hit that this promotion is taking running Corrigan Hall. The big draw here was Shark Tashia's retirement, as Tashia had suffered some health issues and ended up losing one of her legs, and really, her career had ended about a decade earlier. But it is nice that she's getting to retire under the FMW name, but this by no means should be a big draw of a show, and that's one of the reasons that this show did so poorly. Uh, Shark, she would end up coming out to the ring with her Mad Dog military members, Crusher Maya Morey and Bad Nurse Nakamura as she would get her 10 bells retirement salute and streamers would get thrown in the ring. Shiguza Nagayo would then hit the ring as they had feuded in FMW in 1995 and it would look like they're going to shake hands but then Toshia would end up hitting her with a barbed wire stick and then cover her as a referee would appear out of nowhere and count three and give the win to Shark here as Nagayo and Toshia would end up shaking hands. Uh, Toshia would then end up getting on the mic and cutting a heel promo with the fans going along and booing her rather loudly as Maida More and Toshio would end up hugging afterwards, which was a cool emotional moment as these two went way back to the, the early days of FMW to, with one another and had always been with each other. And so I'm glad that this happened, even though, like I said, really shouldn't have been the top draw of the show. Then there would be the main event, and this was a total booking nightmare. The FMW six-man street fight tag team titles, which had been brought back at the end of last year, and they had stopped defending them back in March, were now vacated after doing nothing with them for eight months. And they're now going to become the eight-man tag team titles for this match, as Onida's going to team up with Hideki Osaka, Raijin Yaguchi, and High 69 and they're going to take on this Tiger Mask group of Great Tiger, Tiger Mask El Mascarado, Black Tiger 5, and Black Tiger 7, in this weird Onita feud with a bunch of fake tiger masks and black tigers now. I just, I hated all this. Onita, he would end up smashing Black Tiger, who was obviously Nosawa, over the head with a broken table piece, and then give him a Thunderfire powerbomb, but when Yaguchi would pick one of them up, Onita would go to spray red mist in their eyes, and he would move out of the way, and Onita would end up spraying Yaguchi instead, and Yaguchi would end up getting it in the face, and then the Great Tiger would end up hitting a Death Valley bomb on High 69, followed by a Shining Wizard by El Mascarado, and then the Great Tiger would go up to the top and hit a flying headbutt on High 69 and get the win, so that the Tigers win the FNW six-man street fight tag titles as well as his replica WCW world title as this would be the end of these belts in a match that made no sense on why it happened, why they changed how many belts there were, and what made the company look really cheap using a replica belt. And this feud would never be spoken of again after this match, although that's probably a good thing. Onita would then get on the mic and announce that he was going to challenge for the All Japan All Asian tag titles with Masafuchi at the All Japan Sumo Hall show later this week and then he would end up doing his Onita theater with Shark Tashia in the ring for the last time. Atsushi Onita would team up with a longtime friend on November 27th at Sumo Hall as they would challenge for the All Japan All Asian Tag Team titles. Can you go over their match? Yeah, so Asushi Onida and Masafuchi, they're going to team up for the first time in years, as they were the first two All Japan Dojo graduates back in 1974, and they would bring a picture of a wrestler named Kazuhara Sanada, who is best known as Magic Dragon, who had made his debut a year after Onida and Fuchi back in 1975, and he had sadly passed away in a plane crash in 1986, and that's all I really knew about the incident, but I looked it up for this episode, and it was a really big deal. He was on a commercial flight, um, Giant Baba had asked him to work a show in 
in South Africa, and he had just got married, and so Baba was like, hey, I'll pay for everything, your flight, your hotel stay and everything. Just go to this show in South Africa for Tiger Jeet Singh. He's promoting the show, and as a favor, I want you, you know, to participate on the show, and I'll pay for everything. So, you know, Sonata and his wife get on the flight, and this flight, like I said, the commercial flight ends up catching on fire and ends up crashing in the Indian Ocean where everyone would end up passing away as a result in this, like I said, a really tragic story, and I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how big of a deal this was. I was just thinking, you know, flight, maybe it was a small flight, we were holding six people. No, it was, you know, a, a commercial airline. Almost 160 people passed away from this flight, and, and Giant Baba actually lived with the guilt of this happening on his watch for the rest of his life, sadly. So Onida and Fuchi, they're doing their best here to honor their late friend. And although this was not an exploding barbed wire bat deathmatch, for some reason, the exploding barbed wire bat was in the ring, and Onida would end up turning it on and look to use it, but Fuchi would come over and let Onida know that this was not a weapon allowed in all Japan, and Onida would respect Fuchi enough to turn off the exploding barbed wire bat. Onida, though, would end up spitting red mist in Sato's face, and then Fuchi would come over and deliver a backdrop to Sato, and he would end up picking up the win as Onida and Fuchi become the all Japan, all Asian tag team champions. They're the 100th uh, all Japan, all Asian tag team champions after being the first two all Japan dojo graduates. A Kumamoto charity event would take place in Osaka on December 7th in what would be Kanemura's final death match. Can you go over what the charity show was for and the match? Yeah, so this was a charity show for Kumamoto that had suffered a horrible earthquake back in April of this year. And on this show, the main event's going to be Asushi Onida, Masato Tanaka, and Hideki Osaka taking on Kanemura, Yoshihiro Takayama, and Buffalo in an exploding barbed wire bat deathmatch. And this is actually going to be Kanemura's final deathmatch of his career. And he would end up nailing Onida with the exploding barbed wire bat and then trying to hit him with the chair. But Onida would end up spitting red mist in Kanemura's face. And then Osaka would grab Kanemura and take him to the top rope and hit him with a Hurricane Rana, followed by Tanaka going up to the top and hitting a Superfly Splash. And then Onida would end up turning on the exploding barbed wire bat and hitting Kanemura with it and get the win. So this was a nothing match. And afterwards, Onida and Kanemura and everyone else would end up doing the Team No Respect Beef Brother dance together as Kanemura is noticeably crying during this. I don't know why specifically other than he kind of just realizes that his career is almost over. But I'd like to think it was because how bad this match actually was, especially for it being his last ever death match. As this match only went seven minutes. And like I said, it was just the main event and it was this awkward main event that was kind of an all-star show that had Dory Funk Jr., Kota Ibushi, Tatsumi Fujinami, and for this match, and specifically to be the last match, was just kind of weird. Kentaro Kanemura would have a singles match on December 9th in Shinkiba, and afterwards would interact with some Freedoms wrestlers for the first time in seven years. Can you go over the match and the details that happened afterwards? Yeah, so Yuena was this female FMW fan growing up, so whenever she danced, she would book these FMW wrestlers for her Shinkiba shows, and so she would end up booking a G Mr. Ganesuke or an Onryo, and on this show, she's going to book a match with her taking on Kentaro Kanemura in the main event, and Yuega, she would end up taking Kanemura and throwing him in the seats of Shinkiba, but Kanemura would come back and end up throwing some light strikes to her, and then bring her back in the ring, and bring out a barbed wire bat and begin carving her face open, and then end up hitting her with a chair over the back, 
and then Kanemura would begin working on Uega's cut before she would end up going low and then hitting Kanemura with the barbed wire bat. Uega would then place Kanemura on a table on the outside and go up to the top and dive off of it, sending Kanemura through the table. Kanemura eventually would come back though and pick up a broken table piece, but Uega would go low again and then take that broken table piece from him and begin smashing the table piece over Kanemura's head and then suplex Kanemura on a stack of chairs and then she would end up laying Kanemura on the stack of chairs and go up to the top, but Kanemura would get up and suplex her on the chairs and then take one of those chairs and just smash it over her head and then cover her and get the win. Kanemura's body was just done at this point, as this was just a basic Kanemura hardcore match. Afterwards, Kanemura would end up hugging Uega and raise her hand out of respect. All the wrestlers from the show would end up coming to the ring, and that would include the Freedoms team of Takashi Sasaki, Chintaro, and Toro Sugawara, who had all done this traditional Japanese comedy gimmick earlier in the show. Chintaro, he would be the first one to go to the ring and just hug Kanemura right away, so he has no issues with Kanemura. Takashi Sasaki, though, would sell the suspense and slowly go up to the ring and put his hand out for Kanemura to shake it, finally ending the beef between the two that had gone seven years. This one was still a weird one for me, as Sasaki tried to bring Kanemura in towards the end of his Apache Army promotion in 2009 because it was not doing well at all, and so they did this angle where Kanemura was upset and kind of invading the Apache Army, but Kanemura was upset that, hey, you stole my Apache Army name, you're using this name, this is my promotion and you've taken it from me and you know they were going to do kind of like I said an outside game an outsider gimmick and you know Sasaki was doing this out of a desperate attempt for the Apache Army because it was doing so poorly well the sponsor was not happy about that because of Kanemura's sexual harassment scandal the year prior and so he kind of was just hey Kanemura is not allowed here and so the sponsor was so not happy that he ended up pulling out I'm done with you guys and with the Apache Army struggling so much Takashi Sasaki ended up having to find a new sponsor and that new sponsor ended up helping create freedoms. So I guess it was a blessing in disguise for Sasaki that it would eventually create freedoms as a result. Um, now, Sasaki and Kanemura had not interacted with one another going back to 2009 until now. So like I said, it's just kind of weird the whole thing of, hey, I want to work this angle with you, but when it blows up, I want nothing to do with you. So um, like I said, there was definitely heat between the two. So regardless of what was going on, I'm glad that Kanemura and Sasaki were able to square everything away and end on good terms before Kanemura's retirement later in the month. And then Kanemura, Sasaki, Jintaro, and everyone else on the show would end up doing the Team No Respect Brief Brother dance to end the show. The Big Japan Deathmatch title would be defended in a rematch of the Deathmania match that took place in August. This time, it would take place on December 18th at the Yokohama Bunka Gym. Can you go over this title match? Yeah, so Kenkuro Hoshino is going to defend the Big Chan Deathmatch title once again against Abdullah Kobayashi, and this is going to be another fluorescent light tubes, concrete blocks deathmatch, although this match they're going to add chairs as well as two-step stool ladders. This match would start with Hoshino and Kobayashi picking up concrete blocks and breaking them with each other before Hoshino would end up grabbing a light tube and just begin cutting open Kobayashi with it before sending Kobayashi headfirst into the light tube. Hoshino would then take some concrete blocks and place them on Kobayashi's back and break them over with another concrete block and then Kobayashi would come back and break light tubes over Hoshino as the crowd would just be dead silent for this. Kobayashi would then go up to the top rope but Hoshino would end up getting up and suplexing Kobayashi off the top onto the concrete blocks and then they would begin headbutting one another and hitting each other over the head with Hoshino knocking Kobayashi down and hitting him with a concrete block as Hoshino would end up stacking some light tubes onto one another over a step ladder and then just drop Kobayashi into them which would be a really cool looking spot. Hoshino would then 
then place the other stepladder over Kobayashi while he was already laying on the other one, and then deliver a senton off the top, but Kobayashi would manage to kick out this time. He would then just begin launching light tubes at Kobayashi's head before Kobayashi would turn around and hit him in the back with one, but then Hoshino would end up hitting him with another stack of light tubes, but Kobayashi would end up delivering a roundhouse kick to Hoshino. They would then just begin grabbing stacks upon stacks of chairs and just tossing them at one another before Kobayashi would end up taking a concrete block and just tossing at Hoshino and then hit an Olympic slam on a stack of chairs before climbing up to the top and delivering an elbow drop with Hoshino managing to kick out when Kobayashi would cover him. Kobayashi would then just grab this huge amount of light tubes and just fling them at Hoshino which would get a huge pop from the crowd as the crowd is really beginning to react to this match. Kobayashi would then pick Hoshino up and he would just roll Kobayashi up out of nowhere but that would be his last chance to get the win here as Kobayashi would end up hitting Hoshino with a shining wizard and then take the step ladders and hit a German suplex on Hoshino onto both of them and then go up to the top and drop an elbow but Hoshino would still manage to kick out and then Kobayashi would end up hitting a drop kick like only Kobayashi can and then place Hoshino in a Boston Crab and Hoshino would have no chance but and have to tap out as Kobayashi gets the win here and becomes the Big Japan Deathmatch Champion once again as at the end of the day no matter how long you actually hold this title you're really just a transitional champion for either Ryuji Ito or Abdullah Kobayashi in Big Japan. Super Battle FMW would hold a show on December 23rd at Takamatsu where Onita would end up getting injured. Can you go over the details of Onita's injury? Yeah, so this was a house show, so there wasn't any video of this match, but Onida, he would end up taking his usual double suplex spot by Yaguchi and Hashimoto through a barbed wire board, and Onida would be in so much pain after that move that he would end up passing out during the match, and Tanaka, who was his partner, would end up having to just improvise and get the win instead of Onida, which was the plan to end this match. Onida would be in so much pain, but he would still manage to do his plan, Team No Respect, Brief Brother dance to end the show as he would end up going to the waiting room where an ambulance would be called and Onita would be taken to the hospital where he would be diagnosed as having suffered a fractured lower backbone on the side of his pelvis region. Onita would be told that he would need to take two months off and to make matters worse, Onita would actually end up catching a cold wall in the hospital. The Apache Army would hold its final show ever on December 25th at Shinkiba with Kanemura challenging for the WEW title. Can you go over this match as well as the main event for everybody? Kanemura, he had been feuding with Koji Kanemoto over the last year over the WEW title. And this match is going to be the final time that Kanemura has a shot at winning back the WEW title before retiring. And in this match, Kanemoto, he would end up laying Kanemura with some kicks and then place him in an ankle lock with Kanemura grabbing the referee and throwing him into Kanemoto to break the move. And then Kanemoto would go for a high kick, but Kanemura would move out of the way and then Kanemura would grab Kanemoto and roll him up with the Samson Clutch to win back the WEW title two days before he's supposed to retire as well as his last singles match of his career. And then the main event's going to be Onita who was told to take two months off. He would end up just taking two days off as he would end up appearing in this main event match that he was scheduled for and team up with Raijin Yaguchi, Hideki Osaka, and High 69 and Onita would actually need High 69 to hold on to as he was walking to the ring. That's how bad in, of shape he was in. And they're going to take on this Apache Army team mostly of just these young and independent wrestlers and Onita's partners would end up doing most of the work here as Onita would really just hit someone over the head with a chair shot before High 69 would go up to the top and hit a missile launch to get the win here and then Onita would get on the mic and with all the rest of the Apache Army members do the Team No Respect Brief Brother dance to officially end the Apache Army after 13 years as this group is going to officially close down now with Kanemura retiring. 
June Kasai would promote his Christmas Deathmatch show on December 26th at Corrigan Hall. Can you talk about why the Christmas Deathmatch show didn't take place on Christmas? Yeah, so this is the first and only year that the Christmas Deathmatch show did not actually take place on Christmas and instead would take place the day after, as I think Freedoms ended up screwing up and not booking the building in time before the Bizarre promotion would end up booking it. Although Freedoms would not end up making this mistake again, as they pretty much would book Corrigan for the Christmas Deathmatch show at the beginning of the year, every year now, to make sure that this doesn't end up happening again. So you would announce a crowd of 1,370 fans, which is the new biggest number of Freedoms has ever done, uh, besting the last year of Christmas Deathmatch show by 10 fans, but this is, like I said, a great number, especially considering Junkasai is not in the main event here. On the show, Masashi Decade is going to take on Mito Extremo in a fluorescent light tubes deathmatch. They would start the match off by just grabbing light tubes and begin stomping on them, breaking them all over the ring so glass would cover the mat, and then they would end up doing rolls while on the glass-covered mat, and then doing some technical wrestling, and then Mito would end up charging at Takeda, but he would end up delivering a drop toehold, sending Mito face first into a stack of light tubes in the corner, but then he would end up coming back by throwing Takeda into some light tubes attached to the ropes, sending him to the outside, and then Mito would end up hitting an onsai moon on Takeda. Mito would then take a Kinzon and shove it in Takeda's forehead before dumping the rest of the Kinzons on the mat and then trying to suplex Takeda, but Takeda would end up escaping and slamming Mito onto the Kinzons. Takeda would then place some light tubes over Mito and hit a running knee breaking the light tubes over Mito, but he would come back with an Asai Moonsault onto Takeda as the fans are chanting for Mito here. Mito would then go up to the top, but Takeda would come over and break a stack of light tubes over his back and then hit a spider German suplex off the top, sending Mito into a stack of light tubes followed by hitting a German suplex on more light tubes with Mito managing to kick out and then Takeda would end up trying for another running knee but Mito would end up moving out of the way and grab a stack of light tubes with Takeda kneeing those light tubes breaking them across Mito's stomach and then Mito would end up just giving Takeda the double bird as a result but Takeda would end up hitting him with a dragon suplex with Mito just no-selling it and hitting his own dragon suplex onto Takeda as the fans are screaming and chanting for Mito even louder after that spot. Takeda and Mito would then both place Kim in their foreheads and begin headbutting one another with Takeda placing a stack of light tubes on Mito and then hit another running knee but Mito would end up just no-selling that again and then pick Takeda up and just drop him on a stack of light tubes followed by going up to the top and hitting a frog splash on another stack of light tubes and then hit a deadlift suplex with Takeda still managing to kick out. Mito would then place more light tubes on the mat and finish Takeda off with a fire thunder and so Mito ends up picking up the win here over Takeda and this was only a 10-minute match but but I think it's one of the best 10-minute light tube death matches you're ever going to see as the crowd was so hot for this and these two worked great together despite it being pretty much just a mid-card match on the show. And then Junkasai is going to take on Gunzo in a Moonlight Darkness, Razor Cross, Knives Board death match. So the whole building is dark during this match. And some Catholic Church music would begin to play as both Kasai and Gunzo would both do the sign of Christ before the music would turn into Gunzo's techno theme music that would play throughout the match. Kasai would end up taking Gunzo to the stage at Corrigan, and Kasai would end up nailing Gunzo with a pile driver, and then Kasai would end up grabbing a table and bringing it on the other side of Corrigan in the crowd and place the table down, but Gunzo would end up smashing Kasai's head up against that table and then place him on it, and then Gunzo would end up climbing up to the entrance of Corrigan and dive off of it, sending Kasai through the table in the crowd. They would end up fighting in the crowd some more with Kasai knocking Gunzo down, sending him falling down the stairs at Corrigan. They would end up making it back in the ring 
and both would end up grabbing these icicles, I believe that's what they were, and just begin stabbing one another in the forehead with them, with Kasai getting the better end of it, and then just ripping Gunzo's shirt off, and sending him into the Razor Cross boards, but Kasai would end up charging at Gunzo, and Gunzo would end up moving out of the way, and Kasai would end up going head first into that Razor Cross board, and then Gunzo would end up sending him back first into the Knives board, and then suplex him on a ladder, and then drop kick him again back first into the Knives board. Gunzo would then place the Knives board on Kasai's back, and then Gunzo would end up taking some light tubes and go up to the top, but Kasai would get up and drop Gunzo head first into them, and then nail him with a lariat, and then Kasai would go up to the top of a ladder, and hit a Pearl Harbor splash with Gunzo, managing to kick out, which the fans were shocked by, and then Kasai would end up nailing Gunzo with a reverse Tiger Driver on the Knives board, and pick up the win, and then place the Knives board over Gunzo, like that was Gunzo's tombstone. The crowd was really into this match, but the darkness really hurt the match as far as I'm concerned, because there were just some points where it was hard to tell what was going on, but Gunzo's electric music playing did help the match overall, but I would still say it was a letdown because of the gimmick of this match, even though Kasai, like usual, killed himself here. Then the main event's going to be Violento Jack defending the King of Freedom world title against Daisuke Masaaka in a scaffold glassboard death match with one of the glassboards having broken cans attached to it. Masaaka and Jack, they would shake hands, but Jack would end up slapping Masaaka in the face and then Masaaka would begin striking Jack, knocking him out of the ring and then nail Jack with a topek on Hilo to the outside. They would end up getting back in the ring and Jack would end up kicking Masaaka and picking him up and just powerbombing Masaaka straight into the glassboard with broken cans attached to it followed by Jack taking one of the broken cans and just begin cutting Masaaka's head open with it. And then Jack would charge at Masaaka, but he would be met with a knee to the head, sending him out of the ring as Masaaka would end up nailing Jack with an Asai moonsault. And then he would bring Jack back in the ring and grab a bucket of thumbtacks and drop them over himself and Jack. Masaaka would then end up picking Jack up and just drop him on the thumbtacks and then go up to the top rope. But Jack would climb up to the top and suplex Masaaka off of it. But Masaaka would end up hanging on and right away just pick Jack up and hit a suplex on him and then Masaaka would then go up to the top of the scaffold and deliver a splash on Jack and cover him but Jack would manage to kick out. They would begin striking one another with Jack just giving repeated slaps to Masaaka's face and then nail Masaaka's head off with a lariat and then Jack would pick Masaaka up and drop him down on his knees and then Jack would climb up to the top of the scaffold and nail a swanton bomb off of it and cover Masaaka but Masaaka would manage to kick out. Jack would then set up the other glass board on a stack of chairs and place Masaaka under the glass board as Jack would go up to the top of the scaffold again but Masaaka would get up again and climb up to the top of the scaffold as well and Jack would actually try to hit a package pile driver off the scaffold but, but Masaaka would counter that and pick Violento Jack up and come down with him bringing Jack down through the glass board off the scaffold in one of the more memorable spots in Freedom's history as they're really trying to do a Big Japan did here with Yuko Miyamoto a decade earlier with his his scaffold deathmatch. Uh, Matsuaka would then go up to the top and hit a recurrent Kai knee drop and then follow that up by climbing up to the scaffold again and then Matsuaka would end up hitting a recurrent Kai knee drop off the scaffold onto Violento Jack and get the win here. This was a great spot fest. Some of the in-between spots that took away from the match being this amazing match but regardless, some of the stuff here that they did, especially Matsuaka putting Jack through the glass board off a scaffold was amazing and this is a great way to put Matsuaka over here as the new champion, which it's been pretty much building for the last two years, and now finally, Masaaka is the top guy in Freedoms as champion. Jack would end up presenting Masaaka with the belt, and they would end up fist bumping out of respect, as Masaaka now is going to be the guy going into 2017 for Freedoms. 
Kentaro Kinemura would hold his retirement ceremony on December 27th at Corrigan Hall. Can you go over his final match and the ceremony afterwards? So this would not be taped other than highlights being shown on Samurai TV's Battleman as there was only one camera crew filming and that was Samurai TV as I guess Kanemura was just not interested in selling the DVD with him no longer being in wrestling. And the main event here is going to be Kentaro Kanemura, Masato Tanaka, and Tetsuhiro Kuroda teaming up and they're going to come through the crowd of Corrigan with Kanemura wearing Fuyuki's jacket and then they would end up doing the Team No Respect dance in the ring and they're going to face off against Daisuke Sekimoto, Kohei Sato, and Yuji Haino who's filling in for Shingo Takaji with which is who Kanemura originally wanted for this match, but Dragon Gate ended up having a show that day, so Haino's gonna fill in for him. And this match will start with Kanemura going up against Daisuke Sekimoto, who is actually really good friends with Kanemura in real life, and this would be their first interaction in the ring since Kanemura's sexual harassment scandal due to Big Japan expelling him and not wanting any other guys to ever interact with Kanemura. Uh, Big Japan president Eji Tasaka is actually in the crowd watching over, making sure everything goes as planned. Uh, Kanemura and Sekimoto, they would begin exchanging chops before eventually Kanemura would end up placing Sekimoto on a table on the outside and go up to the top and dive off the top for the last time sending Sekimoto through the table and then Kanemura would end up taking the broken table piece and just begin smashing it over Sekimoto's head and then begin delivering chops to Sekimoto but Sekimoto would end up charging at Kanemura and Kanemura would end up catching him and deliver a suplex to Sekimoto and then Tanaka would come up to the top rope and hit a superfly splash on Sato but Sekimoto would come over and make the save by delivering a deadlift suplex to Tanaka and then Sekimoto would throw Kanemura in the corner and Sekimoto, Sato, and Haino would all charge at Kanemura in the corner and then Sato would pick Kanemura up and deliver a pile driver to him and then Haino would go up to the top and nail Kanemura with a splash and then Sekimoto would end up nailing Kanemura with a lariat and cover Kanemura but Kanemura would manage to kick out but then Sekimoto would come over and pick Kanemura up and deliver a deadlift German suplex and get the three count to get the win over Kanemura in his retirement match. Afterwards, Sekimoto would help Kanemura up out of respect and Kanemura would end up hugging Sekimoto as, like I said, they were really close friends actually. And then they would have Kanemura's retirement ceremony and Ryuji Yamakawa, he'd be the first one to come to the ring. Yamakawa and Kanemura, they had feuded and uh, teamed up in Big Japan and FMW around 2000, 2001-ish. Um, and Yamakawa would hug Kanemura and then Mitsuhiro Matsunaga would come to the ring and even though Kanemura hates Matsunaga in real life their careers have been connected for so long Matsunaga needed to be there and then Onido he would come to the ring and he would have to take the show off due to his injury that he had suffered but he would walk to the ring on crutches and he would just talk to Kanemura before the entire roster that was on the show would end up getting in the ring and take a group picture with Kanemura and then Kanemura would end up getting on the mic and thank Tanaka and Kuroda and the fans for supporting him during his career as they would then do his 10 Bell's salute to officially end Kanemura's career as Kanemura would end up picking up the WEW title and hold it up as the fans would throw streamers in the ring and then Tanaka and Kuroda they would get back in the ring and they would do the team no respect brief brother dance and you could see Mr. Ganesuke outside the ring doing the dance as well as Kanemura would end up lifting Tanaka and Kuroda's arms to end the show and end Kanemura's 26 year career. Alright Brett can you let everyone know where they can find you at? Yeah, you can find my website at bahufnw.com or fnwwrestling.us. I have news, results, biographies of a lot of the FMW wrestlers. I also sell DVDs and MV4s of pretty much everything, FMW, Freedoms. I have a bunch of Big Japan, Zero One, Michinoku Pro. So if you're ever interested in purchasing, you can just send me an email. And if you want an MP4, you can get it that day even. Um, I also have an Instagram at bahufnwworld where I go through all my magazines. And um, throughout the last four years, I've just collected thousands 
thousands of pictures and post it on there. And every so often I post about 20, 30 pictures in a row. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at BahuFMW where I'll post anything news related as well as I do these one minute this day in history videos that has anything significant uh, as far as FMW or anything related to it, which are tend to be pretty popular actually. And then also you can find me on YouTube at BreadFMW where I've posted every video of the history of FMW. I have career music videos up there and I also have done the top 100 FMW matches if you want to see those. Uh, if you want to just listen to this show, if you want to just listen to the podcast only history of FMW, you can find uh, this show on Stitcher or iTunes. Just search history of FMW and it'll pop up if you want to just listen to it on your phone instead of watch it. And then also I have a Facebook group called history of FMW where I've posted all the history of FMW videos as well as anything FMW related. I'm going through some um, Hayabusa memoirs uh, recently and posting stuff like that and also if you want to just chat with other fans of FMW or Wing or other promotions like that um, they're on there as well and then also I wanted to let everyone know I recently have uh, gotten the Hayabusa jacket the brown Hayabusa jacket that he wore to Kawasaki Stadium to the ring against Onita on May 5th 1995 and as well as May 5th 1996 against Pogo and Funk as well as other really big matches of his career I was able to obtain that so currently I actually have two of the three Hayabusa jackets so pretty pumped about that I don't know where I'm going to put it yet because I already have a shadow box for the white jacket I was not planning on this brown jacket being available but once it came available I knew I had to buy it so so right now it's just sitting in my room and I'm going to make sure to take care of it and give it a good home and that's pretty much it thanks for joining us everybody we will be back for the next history of FMW episode where we will be going over the first half of 2017 see you then Gotta keep them separated Hey!